Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. Being a teenager can be challenging. It certainly was for everyone around me. I was your garden variety rebel with Doc Martens, a chip on my shoulder, and a love for mischief. It wasn't until I ended up on a farm in Putney, Vermont, that I understood my context to the rest of the world, and it took me being immersed in nature to comprehend my relationship to other people and to the universe. For every teen listening today, I feel your pain being cooped up at home, and for every parent or caregiver of a teen right now, I have the same advice. Try and escape, even if it's for a quick breath of fresh air. This week, I talked to Donegan Markegaard, who, at 15, left a note for her mom that she was taking off for the entire summer and would be back in the fall. That hitchhiking adventure was only the beginning of a quest that led Donegan to tracking wolves in Alaska. Donegan now runs a regenerative farm in California with her family and is the author of Dawn Again, Tracking the Wisdom of the Wild, and the just-released book, Wolf Girl, Finding Myself in the Wild. Donegar is also featured in the upcoming movie, Kiss the Ground. I catch up with Miss Markegaard to hear her amazing story firsthand. Donegar, where are you right now? I am in Half Moon Bay, California, on our home ranch, and uh, it's right, right on the coast in between San Francisco and Santa Cruz. And it must be, I mean, it's a stunning, beautiful day. You must feel very kind of remote and isolated from the rest of civilization. Yeah, on the ranch and out in nature, it's just spring is uh, in, in full bloom right now. The wildflowers are incredible. The morning bird song. And uh, it feels like when we're out here, there's a huge celebration of life and uh Considering the uh, horrific things that the world is going through, uh, I feel that nature's very resilient and we will make it through this. And the journey that brought you to this place is is amazing. It starts with you in Snoqualmie, which is up in the beautiful part of Washington State in the Cascades, falling off a horse. <laughs> Tell us about that experience. It was during a time when I began to question my role in life, those uh, teenage years where um, you're beginning to rebel and figure out your own identity and uh, where you want to go with your life. And it just sort of woke me up. And so I was uh, thrown off my horse when I was getting ready to compete. And I was knocked unconscious, and there's this whole segment of my life that I can't uh, recall. And during that time, I had this experience where I was out of my body looking down at my body in the hospital bed and feeling just this incredible peace and seeing the beauty around me in this sort of alternate reality. And after I had that experience, things really changed for me. And it was 
during that time that I started noticing more. And maybe these things were all around me, but I started noticing more life that was abundant around me, but that it would also come about and show itself in certain times and that were, I couldn't describe it other than synchronicity. Then you just decided to go and you wrote this note to your mom saying, mom, don't worry about me. I'll be all right. I'll be back before school starts. Love, Donaga. And you just headed off with your sister and a friend. How did that occur to you at the time? Did it just feel like I got to get out of here? Yeah, it felt like, wow, this was an opportunity to go on an adventure and do something other than what we're sort of programmed to do, which is go to school, get a degree, get a job, enter into the workforce. And at that time, it wasn't my passions were not being ignited Uh, So I was looking for a way for my passions to be ignited and also just to figure out what was out there in the world. And it was a very rebellious thing to do. And I hope my kids never do that. But it showed me a lot of things that were not very positive. It could have been really detrimental to my to my future. And I'm just thankful I must have had some someone watching over me that I made it safe through putting myself into dangerous situations. I mean, I feel very comfortable putting myself into survival experiences in nature and other things in nature. However, when it comes to humans, I I have lost my trust. It sounded really exciting and, you know, doing things like dumpster diving for all the food you needed. But at the same time, you got assaulted. I really wanted to share that part of my journey because in particular, there's so many young adults out there, teenagers that go down a really dark path and they, their form of rebellion might be sex or drugs. And I wanted to share that that's not always uh, the smart thing to do. And there's other ways that you can feel what it is you're searching for, and you can experience life without putting yourself in those types of experiences and doing the things to your body that uh, could be irreversible. At the same time, it's a really complex balance because often adventures do involve risk and some degree of independence, but that's also how I grew to become me. So it is it is a hard balance because we want to shelter the people that we love. And at the same time, in order to become the people we need to be, sometimes there's risks that we take that we don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And like for my kids, I want to encourage them to take those risks. I want to, you know, say, go climb that tree and jump on that horse bareback and feel that exhilaration. However, 
I'm going to make sure that they have the training and balance and strength and <laughs> the things that uh, they need in order to stay on a galloping horse riding bareback. And it is a balance is that, yeah, you want to encourage that risk and those edge experiences because it's those edge experiences that really wake you up and really put you into your senses. And those are the experiences that are going to stick with you and are going to help you to shape your future and what what makes you happy and what makes you alive. Talking of alive, so then you come home and there's kind of a subtext to your story, which is painful, which is your dad died while you were in the womb as a result of a drunk driver killing him, which even though you weren't alive, obviously left a trauma. And, and your mom is raising three girls on her own. And you kind of, in different parts of the book, reacting to that sense of feeling caged or trapped and kind of escaping from it. How do you view that now as a mom and, and kind of your relationship with your mom? I rebelled against my mom and and put her through so, you know, so much uh, grief uh, during that time. Uh, However, I really feel that it made us stronger in the end. And it wasn't easy for her as a single mother raising kids. And she had to play both roles of mother and father and you know she she really did an amazing job she was she was an incredible mother and provided for us all of our essential needs and then some and taught us how to garden taught us how to sew our own clothes she was very industrious and never wasted anything in terms of my relationship with my mother now i think it really became stronger once i started having kids and you know i really had to kind of be be really honest with her about some of the things that I did because it was really wearing on my heart, like, oh my gosh. I finally, when I had kids, was able to put myself in her shoes. I learned that empathy pretty well with non-human animals, but I had a hard time feeling that empathy with humans. Uh, I felt stronger protecting the deer than I did sort of protecting the human species at that point in my life. So you come back from this wilderness experience and you meet this Maori elder kind of out of the blue who tells you that you're headed in danger if you continue on the path that you're on and that you should go to this school called the Wilderness Awareness School. It sounds almost impossible that these things happen, but of course they do in all our lives. What was the Wilderness Awareness School and like How did you go from this Maori elder telling you this as a young kid to enrolling and and it becoming a transformative event in your life? The Wilderness Awareness School is something that everyone should have access to. This elder, through just a chance meeting, looked me in the eye and shook me awake, but spiritually shook me and out of my arrogance or my self-righteousness, feeling like I'm on the right path and completely changed the course of my life. It was time for me to 
root myself in nature and learn nature's ways. And that background that I have in nature, I take into everything in my life. Um, my current career as a regenerative rancher, my life as a mother. It was a school that was set up to mentor youth in full wilderness immersion and to teach us the way a indigenous village would uh, be set up. So as a community of mentors and people that are around to ask questions and to pique your curiosity and to really just be there in a way that isn't telling you what to do, but really inspiring the passion inside of all of us. And so the people at that point who were drawn to the school were those of us that really didn't fit in anywhere else. And I think many of us fall in that category. And so it was a group of outcast teenagers, and we met five days a week, like a regular school hours. And the difference was uh, we were in a classroom with no walls. Uh, we met around a fire every morning, and it was a fire that we had to create by gathering uh, very wet material from the western Washington forest and rubbing two sticks together to start the fire. And sometimes that took us all day, and that was it. That was the, the lesson for the day. And we wandered aimlessly in nature for hours on end. And we explored and we jumped in every body of water we came across. And we went out into the middle of ponds on floating logs and tried to knock each other off the log and see who could stay above water the longest. Uh, we each had a, a special spot where we sat every day and we observed nature. And we observed the language of the birds. We observed the patterns of the weather. We observed any animal sign that we came across. We observed the plants and the trees and the insect life. And we also observed our own relationship with that life. And then we came back around the fire and we talked about it and we journaled about it and we drew elaborate maps of this place that we were getting to know so well. With this immersion experience, we were slowly shifting of who we were and how we were showing up in the world. Amazing. I wish I'd gone there. I wish I'd sent my kids there. I mean, it just sounds such a full immersion experience about how we connect to nature and ultimately to ourselves and each other. One of the things that you learn is tracking and you give these five elements of tracking, choosing a special spot, then watching with owl eyes, listening with deer ears, walking like a fox, and then using your intuitions the importance of choosing a special spot. Talk us through what that means. So choosing the special spot is one place that you get to know very well. And it's a place that you can access easily. So whether it's in your own backyard or in a nearby park, somewhere you can go every day. 
And that special spot is uh, your place to immerse and be in relationship with the life around you, the non-human life around you. And once you get to know one place really well, all the plants, all the trees, all the birds, all the mammals, um, the insects, and the patterns of the seasons, then that is always inside of you. And that will stick with you the rest of your life when you move and when you go visit a national park or go on a camping trip. You'll always have that inside of you of taking that time to get to know one place very well. And then all of the places in nature that you visit, you'll see similarities. You'll start to pick up on patterns and you'll recognize plants that might not be the exact same species, but they'll be in the same family. So you'll be able to understand their function and the role that they play. It also helps you to get into that rhythm yourself, getting to the point where the life around me is starting to accept me instead of fear me and run from me, I'm able to walk right up to them and walk up to them without them fleeing. So I think right there, that experience of getting to know one spot, if you're always going from one place, you don't have the opportunity to be accepted by nature. And then the next is watching with owl eyes. Tell us more about kind of how you practice that. Owls, uh, their their eyes are fixed in the sockets and it's using your peripheral vision and widening your vision as much as you can so that the edges begin to blur. And these are the kinds of things that help your brain get into a state where you're not constantly thinking and you can begin to get into that meditative state. So sitting in one place and going into that peripheral vision where movement also really pops out. And then listening to me when I'm in wilderness, the sense that's most activated is my ears. I I mm. never really understood how much sound there is and for me, being back in cities and in civilization, noise pollution is is one of the most frustrating aspects just because, you know, when the leaf blower or the lawnmower out, it, it just occupies an entire soundscape. So tell us what it's like to listen with deer ears. So deer ears is imagining that your ears are like the size of deer and they're a prey species. So they depend on their hearing for survival to pick up on the quiet uh, stalking of a mountain lion. And so when you listen with deer ears, you're stretching your hearing out to uh, listen for the very quietest sound. You're listening to just the slight rustle of the wind in the trees or the buzzing of an insect or the bird song across the valley. You're attempting to stretch your hearing so that you can hear to the limits of your ability. 
So the fourth element, Donaghy, is walking like a fox. Tell us about how you did that, and that seems, especially when you're tracking, pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're tracking an animal, it really helps to get into the body and the mind of that animal. And so imagining that your feet are turning into the feet of a fox and a red fox has hair growing in between their toes so they can walk silently and it also that type of walking is like a walking meditation so when you're using your owl eyes and you're engaging in all of your senses and then you walk silently you're going to be able to pick up on subtle cues and slight movements like a predator would when they're walking and stalking through the forest or the edge of a meadow. So walking like a fox is uh, a way that we can sort of get into the body of the animal and be able to relate to that animal more. And then the last one, and these feel like kind of an order of progression until you've chosen a special spot and able to watch with owl eyes and listen with deer ears and walk like a fox. You wouldn't really have the last one, which is using your intuition. How did you get to a point that you were able to key into what your intuition was? So being able to trust your intuition, uh, it's sort of, you can call it the sixth sense. Uh, once all of your five senses are engaged, then another sense starts to emerge. And that's intuition. And you start to feel a pull in a certain direction, maybe when you're out in nature and you're tracking a coyote and you picture in your mind's eye that coyote so strong. And then you get a pull or you get the hair on the back of your neck standing up and you go in that direction of that pull and you look down and you see fresh coyote tracks. So once you begin to have more of these types of experiences, you begin to uh, trust yourself. And then you can begin to tune into that even more. So Donaga, you take all these tracking skills that you honed in Washington, and then you go tracking for wolves in Idaho and many other places. Tell us about that. Yeah, so wolves are just amazing. And being in the Frank Church Wilderness in Idaho, which is the uh, largest wilderness area in the lower 48, is also something that will always stay with me. And so hearing that wolf call for the first time sort of ignited something in me and something that I think we all hold inside. We need to remember what it's like to be a human really living a life in tune with nature and in tune with the wild creatures around us and being on the trail of the wolf and almost to the point where I felt that I was becoming the wolf was something that I think maybe at one point all humans experienced and 
even to the point where we had this really special relationship with wolves. And now we still have a very special relationship with dogs that we can remember and tune into that primal self and remember that we once had that relationship with wild animals and those animals taught us things and we just need to remember how to listen. The real sense that I get from all the tracking that you've done in your life is that rather than show any kind of dominance that we have over nature, really show you the interconnectedness of all things. Yeah, absolutely. As a human species, we have a long way to go with that interconnectedness and understanding that it's a reciprocal relationship. We depend on nature, but nature also depends on us. If we want to live on this planet and continue as a species, then we need to have a reciprocal relationship. And we need to learn how to tend to the wild and tend to our food source and understand what indigenous people understood and bring back that knowledge that's really holding on by a thread. I mean, I think when we talk about the loss of species and the climate and all of these problems that are facing our time right now and and our children's future, we also need to be talking about the knowledge. And what I'm talking about with knowledge is that indigenous knowledge that I was fortunate enough to be immersed in through that wilderness awareness school. And that right there is what we need to bring back because it's not going to be until we can have that relationship and have that sense of belonging to place that we're going to start to see the species coming back and to see the climate starting to heal. And it really needs to be in the healing of ourselves and our brains and setting the patterns of nature within our own selves that we're going to start to help the earth. That's super powerful. And and you talk about this connection to Gilbert, who was a Lakota leader who kind of helped you bring that connection that you had to nature into a spiritual dimension. However you relate to the mystery of life, whether it's God or great spirit or mother nature or just that feeling of inspiration when you wake up in the morning and you watch the sunrise and you realize, wow, the sun rises every morning and it's a miracle. It's beautiful. That sense of wonder. However it is you relate to that and give thanks that that's in your life, even if it's just 10 minutes a day, and tune into that. That's where the creativity comes from, and that's where we're going to tap in to the solutions and tap into what is really needed of us right now during this time. So talking of which, during this time, you're, you're on a regenerative farm. You've got 
all kinds of things going on. Tell us about what the rest of your day looks like, what it means to be a regenerative farmer during the, the crisis that we're in. I wake up in the morning and I, I can feel the, the weight of the earth right now and the grief of that is rippling across the planet. We get so caught up in this pandemic and the news and what's happening. And then, you know, something sort of jolts us awake and says, oh my gosh, this was prophesized. And did we prepare? Did we do what we needed to do to prepare for this? No, people did not prepare. I just can't put words on it because I just start to cry if I think of what's happening in the world. And I feel like, you know, we're here surrounded by nature on this beautiful ranch and we're working our butts off harder than we ever have because people are finally realizing where their food security comes from. It comes directly from their relationship with their farmer or with their rancher. And that food security comes from the farmer or rancher's relationship with nature. It's it's all coming to a head right now that people are realizing they need to have these relationships <laughs> with the farmer and the farmer have the relationships with nature in order for their families to survive. We're ranchers and so we're always working hard, but we had to just step up our game even more because people are depending on us and we're hiring people that are out of work right now to prep orders and to get good, clean, healthy meat that's raised in a way that brings more life than the life that is taken. I look around on these grasslands where we're grazing our uh, heritage breed of belted Galloway cattle, and there's so much life. There's The species are abundant and there's endangered species that are thriving. Their populations are expanding where elsewhere, where there's vegetables being grown or corn or soy being grown, those species are declining. Where grassland birds are one of the hardest hit groups of birds, they're thriving where ranchers are really paying attention to what they really need in order to thrive. So nature can thrive and humans can also eat. <laughs> and the sooner that we understand that and really break apart what it takes for nature to thrive and for the soil to store carbon and to regenerate and also for humans to eat really healthy, nutrient-dense foods. And it comes on that really basic relationship level of the one direct consumer to the farmer to nature. And really there is no separation and we can't continue to have so much separation between nature and between our food. A huge thank you to Donna Markegaard for sharing her transformative adventure with us today. You can read more about that adventure in her book, Wolf Girl. Donna was guided by her own sense of wanderlust that in turn led her to meet indigenous elders who showed her the path to the interconnectedness with all living things. The lessons that Donegar shared with us 
of choosing a special spot in nature to simply watch with owl eyes and then listen with dear ears and then walk like a fox is something we can all do starting today. It doesn't take any special equipment or a drive to a national park. In fact, you can practice it anywhere. And then the final step of getting in touch with your intuition is a reminder that everything that we need to achieve the peace and compassion we seek is already inside each of us. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth through sound engineer Rob Spate, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld, I hope you have a very safe week. Mm-hmm.